Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to Countryside here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermode. At the weekend, I popped along to the Mallard's house in Santon with the Southern Beekeepers. I found out how last Thursday's opening of the first phase of the Queen's Pier in Ramsey to the general public went. And also, I went along to the Southern Showfield to find out how preparations were going ahead of this weekend's show. Well, Kerry, finally a little bit cooler out, so uh, that'll be uh, good news to the livestock handlers. My golly, it's been some heat, hasn't it, Simon? Unbelievable. Feels a bit like 2018 again, really. And some of the ground out there is looking a bit parched now and a bit burnt. I think it's going to be uh, pressing times. We're desperate for rain. Yeah, plenty of combines out up north too at the moment going. Right. Yeah, so the crops are ready. They'll have a bit of plenty of sun to ripen them anyway. This but, is it. Uh, and there's always them crops that uh, you're desperately hoping to get in, isn't it, for the straw, especially for the winter months. You don't know how long these winters are these days. No, one of the sad things, um, obviously a couple of reports of farm machinery uh, getting a light uh, during these hot times and, you know, with the hay and straw and things like that. So it's uh, it's always a worry, isn't it, where everything's so dry? That's it, it's especially with the, uh, like you say, the temperature gauges there. A lot of these modern tractors, a lot of electrical uh, wiring on them these days, so it's, it's not quite like it used to be. Uh, but like you say, a lot of hay getting made, and we don't normally get hay weather, do we? So uh, there'll be a lot less plastic being used around the farms this year. Make hay when the sun shines. Absolutely. Anyway, this weekend, of course, is uh, a new venture for the Southern and District Agricultural Society with their show moving to Orisdale Farm this year. I went along to the show field. I spoke to the Vice President, also the Secretary, Sarah Comish, and firstly to the President, Stephen Gorn. To quash the rumours, the show's still on. The show is definitely going Mm. ahead. We are not even thinking about cancelling it. It might be different to what we normally have. Well, it will be different to what we normally have. We've had one or two trade stands dropped out we've had one or two exhibitors drop out but it's still going ahead of course that's the the up to the individual's concern it'll be the same for for the general public isn't it yeah yeah it's an open air event so we're going to be open air at the tents will be one way hopefully some of the sides will be dropped if the conditions allow so there'll be plenty of air um, we're putting as much in place to mitigate this disease as we can. Well, that's all you can do because it's it's been a trying time and I think a lot of the general public have just said, oh, let's try and get on with it. Um, but there's always the views from every side, of course. But but the shows, um, people know the rules. They know to, to avoid the areas if they're told to and things like that. But obviously you and the committee are looking forward to it all. Yeah, it's certainly been a challenge, a big challenge this year with moving venue and all the COVID and everything we've been put behind schedule with not being able to have meetings when we were in lockdown. And it's been a lot harder than it would normally have been, but hopefully it will be a lot better. Yeah, and it's it's one of them, yeah, you hit the nail on the head in a way, because at least if you didn't get all the meetings done, you sort of come where where it's been before where you know where such and such a tent you know how people are going to get in and out um have you got all that finalized now um <laughs> yes i'll say yes um vice president dort has been doing more of the planning than than i have i've just been 
telling her that she's putting some things in the wrong place. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's good to go. Let's have a quick chat with the secretary then, Sarah Comish. Um, you've got the job of taking all the events in and finding out who's still coming. And uh, has there been a, as good a take as, as other years, apart from the ones that have dropped out? But, I mean, the, the interest, has it been the same as when it's been at Great Meadow? Um, yeah, it has, actually. Um, we're a little bit down on some of our livestock exhibitors this year, but there's been a variety of reasons for that. Um, and for the... The majority of trade stands um, are still coming and still very enthusiastic to come. So we've lost one or two, but really, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that much different. In fact, we've had a really good uptake on stands this year. And also, the feedback I'm getting from the general public is they're still really keen to come. Uh, at least it didn't happen last week when the temperatures were, were the, the, the highest they've been for a long time. But I suppose, was there any of the livestock uh, exhibitors exhibitors that uh, were going to come were worried about that um no we knew the weather was going to change a little bit and cool down um which is better when everybody's showing and you've got livestock on the field you don't actually want that kind of heat at all you need a bit of... ideally for livestock exhibitors they'd have a little bit of cloud cover or maybe a breeze or something just to keep things cool for the animals and it's the same in the fur and feather tent as well um, and for the horses exhibiting on the horse field. Um, they like it to be just a little bit cooler. Um, I know lots of the visitors like hot sunshine, but the animals don't always like it. The going will be firm for the horses and ponies anyway. Yeah, we're keeping an eye on that. And looking around the, the show fields now, there's uh, some wheelie bins in place at least, and, <laughs> and one of the marquees is up, but it's early days yet, isn't it? Some wheelie bins and barriers, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, it is starting to take shape, um, and uh, we're really looking forward to being up here. It's going to be a cracking showground, and quite a few people have said to me already that they think it's going to be lovely up here. So we're excited about it. Let's have a quick chat with the vice president then, uh, Bryony Vernon, um, everything in order entertainment wise because that seems to be your uh, role in this year's show certainly. Uh, yeah, um, so this year we have mainly entertainment all day Saturday and all day Sunday. Um, we've got the Ellen Van, Van Gymnastics, we've got vintage tractor displays, we've got the dancing dogs. Dancing dogs? Dancing dogs! Okay. I, well, I think that's what they do. <laughs> um, we obviously will have the Grand Parade on the Saturday. We've got vintage tractor displays at various points throughout the weekend. And on the Saturday after the Grand Parade, about half past four, we do have the world famous purple helmets. Oh, wow, it's going to be incredible. And uh, the, the, the ring itself, is it going to be a similar size to it, it's been in previous years? Yeah, pretty much the same size. Um, we've got a lot to fit in obviously the vintage tractors take up a lot of space the purple helmets want a lot of space um we're just going to utilize the space as much as possible but that's not to say the cattle haven't got their own rings this year normally they're in the main ring but this year they've been given their own rings um so people can obviously see them being shown and judged as well um, but there will be stuff on at the same time brilliant stuff well, of course Stephen said there about the the, so hoping to get the one-way systems in the in the tent just to take away some of the pressure of people and of course there'll be um, the hand stations and stuff like that as well yeah we've got hand sanitizer all over the show field um, obviously if people want to bring masks and wear masks that's totally their choice as well um, 
And we just ask everyone to respect people's distance and be, be safe and be kind. Looking forward to it now? Yes, definitely looking forward to it. I haven't had a year off. It has been a bit of a shock to the system, having to come back down the show field all the time. But um, yeah, definitely looking forward to it. Bryony Vernon, the Vice President, Sarah Comish, the Secretary, and firstly, Stephen Gorn, the President of the Southern and District Agricultural Show. And don't forget, access to the show will be from the Douglas to Castletown Road, the A5. Uh, you go up the Orisdale Road for the general public parking. Uh, it's one way as well, and the parking will be on the right. There'll be no access from the St Mark's Road. There are traffic lights about, so set off in good time. And also, there's bus stops at the bottom of Orisdale Road, regular bus services at the weekend, so avoid the rush there. It's uh, all going to be ready and taking place, and great to see so how chilled out they were uh, ahead of it, and looking forward to it, Kiri. They're a really lovely bunch of people, the committee, um, many of them farming people themselves, uh, just taking it all in their stride. It's a proper team effort, and um, yes, at the weekend there, Sunday, flat out they were, putting cattle hurdles and sheep hurdles everywhere they wanted. We had a good team of Belinda Cool cutting the fields the week before, Kenny Cool bailing them up, getting it all tidied, and now it's over to the committee. Well, you've been a busy bee as well. Absolutely. Mm. I popped along to a lovely, lovely gardens there at the Mallards in Santon, where I caught up with the Southern Beekeepers, who were having a look around the garden there at Mark Shuttleworth's. I caught up with Scylla Platt and Gwen Kelly just before we set off. How are the bees this year? It's uh, been a quite a long spring, cold spring. How are things happening now? Well, certainly the bees are making up for lost time, because we were really worried at the uh, Moran teaching apiary because in the spring, when it was so cold, we were having to open up the hives just because we were teaching, and the bees were seriously grumpy about oh, it. No. But also, there was very little stores coming in, so we were thinking, oh, are they going to starve? But um, And we did actually have to feed at one point, because Moran is in the middle of a bit of a, a desert, a floral desert. Um, but anyway, they seem to be picking up now, fortunately, and growing, going great guns, and it's much easier to open them up when they're flying massively and how were the numbers this year with it obviously quite a hard spring like you say if people weren't feeding them did they diminish um i don't think we lost too many colonies over winter but the colonies took a long time to build up this spring but now they're just making up for lost time yeah absolutely and gwen this today at mallard here in stanton is organized by the southern beekeepers and yourself the secretary um a beautiful garden it certainly is we visited here about two years ago and uh, we've come back to see the improvements that he's making and uh, it's a beautiful place. It is a bit of a place with a difference though, it's uh, quite elaborate. It's very nice. The lawns that you see here, um, they're not grass, they are full of crocuses in the winter time, in spring and all through the summer there's time. So he doesn't have to cut the grass, it's just thyme in places and clover. So anybody who's fed up mowing their lawn, you can plant some thyme and some clover and it looks beautiful and it's a, a feast for all the pollinators and the bees all through the summer for weeks at a time. And the way that they've got the beds laid out, it, it looks quite uh, Celtic in the design of it, doesn't it? It certainly does. That uh, This afternoon we're going to have... Uh, uh, a talk by Monique who is the new botanist and from Andrew who is his chief gardener here so uh, we'll, it's going to be very interesting we're looking forward to it yeah and how do you find the plants that 
that Mark has brought to the garden because it's a, a Japanese style garden. How will that sort of adapt to our bees or, or, or the bees adapt to the plants? Well I think actually the Japanese section is really quite a small section and he's got lots of fields planted up for trees of different countries aren't they? Yeah. When we walked around last time he was saying oh this, the, these trees are all from New Zealand and he grows them from seed. I don't think there's any importation yeah. of live yeah. trees and they are tiny I suppose they have been when we last came in 2019 but a couple of years is going to make a big difference and it. and it will be amazing as it matures it's going to be such a big improvement on the area because you know the insects the birds the the general uh, population of bio <laughs> botanical plants and and as I say, insects, it's just going to make such a difference in this and, area. And especially in this area, myself and Gwen both farm in Santon. Mm. Um, the agri-environment scheme is now coming into play with DEFA. It's a change about in the countryside. How do you feel that will change our farm and enterprises? More mindful um, of, the, of, of what you're planting. Um, I notice some farmers are planting fields with herbs and um, Paul Castain has got a field this year with lots of different herbs and chicory and things in. So hopefully that might encourage, uh, others. Yes, yeah. encourage other people I to suppose plant it's the unknown isn't it in the farming world that you sort of don't particularly like change but obviously seeing how much this helps the wildlife and with the numbers and populations seeming to be slowing up or setting back this is really quite important it certainly is that we've got to provide uh, even wildlife corridors for the pollinating insects it's no use just having a one 20 acres somewhere and then nothing the rest of the island it's got to be all joined up and it's joined up thinking that we need yeah yeah so it's a bit of change coming about but um obviously they've got a lovely we're having a lovely summer aren't we this this july is something of uh scorchio weather <laughs> mm. how is it going to be for the bees going on through the rest of the year well they've been very busy they've been busy swarming we've got uh, we've been gathering up swarms from all around the island and this when repopulating hives so um there's certainly we're not short of honeybees at the moment it's been very good for the bumblebees as well so um we're just looking forward to well the bramble is flowering now so the beekeepers mm. will be mm. taking their honey off in a few weeks time and um, then hopefully a good crop yes yeah. hopefully a very good crop and that said the shows are just around the corner too <laughs> yes we have our show in november most years i think i think it's in november this year as well um, this is our honey show in St John's and it's an annual event where beekeepers from all over the island come together and exhibit all the different types of honey from all over the island and as I say it's absolutely amazing. Every year without fail there is colours from the darkest brown to almost water clear and they're all perfect honey. So of course they've not been tampered with and nothing's been added to them. They are just genuine honey yeah. off the local bees and you can't get better than that. You really can and they taste all very different too I believe. They do, they really do. Yeah and I've been reading today we have the British Beekeepers um, booklet which comes out once a month and I was reading today that actually the honey if you have 20 grams a day that it improves your uh, gut flora amazingly and the, there's work going on trying to prove that local honeys are almost as good if not better in t at times than manuka. Well I never that said it wouldn't take me much encouragement to get into honey it is absolutely lovely and I do find the Manx honey is just 
beautiful, isn't it? It certainly is. It's got a um, wonderful taste. It's a unique taste. I suppose where you are, Gwen, you were saying about the garlic, the wild garlic and lots of clover. Mm -hmm. It does just change it a little bit, doesn't it? It certainly does. You can keep bees, you know, like two or three or four miles apart and the honey can taste totally different. Just mm -hmm. depends what they're foraging on. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to, hopefully we're going to be at the Southern Show this Saturday um, in the beekeeper's tent and we'll have... A, an observation hive so people can come in and oh. and look for the queen in amongst the bees and we shall have some honey for sale. That was Scylla Platt and Gwen Kelly, the secretary of the Southern Beekeepers at the Botanical Gardens at the Mallards in Santon. And honey uh, resources good? Very good. Mm. Uh, the ladies say that the bees are, are being very busy at the moment, uh, getting round, and they can't wait to see us at the weekend at the Southern District Show, where they'll have a live apiary for us to have a look through and spot the Queen. You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, last Thursday marked a landmark in the history of the famous Queen's Pier in Ramsey. It's been closed to the public for many, many years. But the Queen's Pier Restoration Trust had an open to the public of Phase 1 day on Thursday. And Captain Stuart McKenzie, one of the leaders of the group, spoke to me. And, well, I asked him had he recovered from the heat of Thursday I think I've probably recovered now. The uh, heat was uh, something which was difficult to overcome. And even though I spent a lot of my life out in the Far East, uh, making uh, uh, 23, what was it, 27, 28 degrees C? My, my goodness, that was a, a, quite a difficult thing. Now, the opening of that first phase to allow the public on, I mean, I mean that must have been a, I don't know, was it a... Uh, an emotional time for you and your team? Yes, it was. Um, you always want to achieve something, don't you? I mean, when you start, we started, what, four years ago to actually do the uh, restoration. And, uh, you know, as the old steel, or old iron to be more precise, uh, came off and you put your new steel on, then there were the stringers and the beams and the coping beams and the wailing boards and then finally of course you put the ecky boards on and you suddenly realized it was coming together and so on thursday it was the summation of all the work that we'd done over this period of time and it looked good and because the little train can come down from the jervy museum it looked even better now the, the train is that I believe that that's the original train that used to go on it. It is the original train, and uh, the only thing that's perhaps different about it is people didn't realise that the engine was changed sometime. The original was, I think, a Planet Diesel, and at some point in time, I don't know quite when, they changed it for a Ford V4. Uh, uh, now it's only static because it's uh, sitting on a particular point on uh, the pier at the moment over the green heart um, eventually it will run up and down uh, the pier providing we can find the railway lines there are special uh, special protocol they're called an s3 line apparently which is a bit uh, special as far as i'm concerned and they're not very common rail apparently ah. but we've got enough at the moment the first section that's opened um that's particularly uh, rewarding for yourselves because 
I think it's, well, last time I spoke to you, it, it seemed to be the most difficult to engineer. It, yes, it uh, certainly was. Apart from anything else, uh, the bay one uh, is 40-odd feet wide, <clears throat> whereas the normal bays are only 22 feet wide. So you have to arrange the towing as it goes from 40 down to 20, and uh, that was quite difficult to uh, uh, have the design um, replicated. But now, of course, you, you've got started on it. It's going to get easier, I, I believe, by the way that you're carrying on. And it, it's it's just such an achievement, isn't it, to come from, from really nearly the end of it, as most people said. Yes, I mean, phase two, you see, is uh, five bays, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, they're almost identical to base 3 which we've already done so we know what the problems are likely to be uh, the main thing that's facing us is that the land crane can no longer uh, reach uh, out as far as that um, we've had tremendous help from the the broads and uh, the uh, Man crane services uh, which can reach out to the center of base 3 but they can't reach bay 4 so we're going to have to utilize probably for phase two um, a telehandler with a sufficient uh, height to let us put the steel on from the beach during the intertidal periods and of course the further out you get the less the intertidal period is going to be so probably the last one where you can do that is bay eight uh, bay nine becomes the first one which is a spreader so it goes out it gives lateral stability to the uh, pier and we're not doing that in this phase it's in the next phase okay what sort of reaction did he get there would have been i would imagine a lot of ramsey residents who walked that pier in their youth or a few years ago who took the chance to get back on on thursday yes they did but it wasn't uh, them that i noticed particularly it was all the flaming fishermen really they, yes the fishermen i did this i did that i found them i i got this huge conger eel off the you know, and and they're, they're forever i thought to myself well now obviously we want to start running fishing competitions and charging <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing i suppose a lot of childhood memories are from the fishing because it was somewhere relaxing it was a lovely view uh, back towards ramsey when you're at the end of that pier isn't it Yes, and what you perhaps don't uh, fully appreciate is how long the pier is. I mean, at 2160, it's uh, longer than um, Snapel is high. That's in feet. In feet, yes. yes. I'm sorry, I'm very old. <laughs> I work in feet. Um, and it, that's half a mile. Uh, so if you're going out to the far end, um, the older you get, the harder it gets. I can tell you that. <laughs> but it is, and... and like I say, when we were at the grammar school, spent a lot of time, we could come down in, in the lunch times and have a walk out. And there was people out there, and of course, in the summer uh, with the train running. And there was, um, you know, people just enjoying it as a, as a holiday resort and some, something special about it. Yes, there were quite a few uh, people actually who have, I don't know, quite understand this COVID regulation business about who can come to the island, who couldn't. But there were a lot of people from... Uh, UK uh, actually on the pier as well so uh, obviously the, the relaxation has allowed that and they, they came because they had come in the past 
and therefore they were revisiting something which they'd, they'd come when they were perhaps younger. And what did they make of that? How were they, were they talking about their memories of it? They were indeed, and uh, it's it, fascinating to hear all the people who had actually uh, been on it as a child. And uh, uh, I think that everybody, you know, they they welcomed the fact that we managed to do this as volunteers. Some great pictures and some... Um, ornaments and things that you've got there of you and your oil skins from the start of this project uh, Stuart yeah. you must be immensely proud of how far you've got and all the the Queen's Pier Restoration Trust yes I think the fact that the volunteers have stuck at it you know uh, Helen Highwater uh, may be quite appropriate <laughs> and I think it's more than Helen, the hell when the storms were on and we still have to keep on uh, working uh, as long as we were able to. The only time we were knocked off the pier completely was when the, the waves started crashing over the building and then I think we probably gave up at that point. <laughs> was was there any a time where you got to stripping bits off where you went, well, this is never going to work? Or did you always have faith? Never. Honestly, I was asked that question on Thursday and I can honestly say I never thought that we would uh, not achieve uh, what we're doing. What I am concerned about is the fact that the onward construction is completely dependent on being able to raise the money. The will is there, the volunteers are there, uh, the materials are there, even though at the moment we're concerned about the volatility, volatility for example, of steel, which because of Brexit and COVID and so on is going all over the place. Um, but it's all down to funds. Now, if the government is going to uh, cough up because the lots of other things they've got to do, fair enough, then we've got to find the funds from somewhere. And it's a significant amount, as I said, something like 50 grand a bay. And don't forget the 60 bits. <laughs> Excellent. But when uh, that's phase one you've done, uh, phase two, is it ready to go? It's ready to go when we can get the lease signed with the uh, uh, DOI, who are the landlord. We need a new lease because, obviously, we're doing different parts of the uh, pier this time. Um, when that's signed, we can uh, do two things. Uh, the First of all is we can release the planks for sale for sponsorship and donation um, uh, for base 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and there are plenty. I have a list which goes up one arm and down the other arm of people who are missed out perhaps in the first phase and would like to have a plank and a plaque to uh, record some, uh, you know, some family member or what have you, or even to say the fact that they were fishing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and the second thing um, that we uh, can do is actually to start uh, the work and we then of course have got to give instructions to um, kin raids which who, who've really helped us with the scaffolding and they've got to put the, that in place and once that's in place we can start stripping uh, off the uh, top wood and uh, think about ordering the steel well as a manxman Stuart, uh, i take my hat off to you and the the team that have got this far and it's, it really must have been an emotional time for yourselves because when I drove past on Thursday, um, there's the amount of people that just had that look on their face of excitement, really. Yes, and uh, it was exciting for me as well. 
Uh, now, of course, I'm not a Manxman. I'm just almost Manx, having been here for 53 years. So there we are. <laughs> well, congratulations to all involved in that. Captain Stuart McKenzie there. He's been a, a real stalwart of the Queen's Pier Restoration Trust to get as far as they did. And the, all them comments from the general public and hundreds of people who went there on Thursday in that heat to uh, just step foot on the pier again and bring in such memories back of childhood. It is so wonderful that this is going ahead, isn't it? You know, just all of those people, ordinary people getting together to get this open and and what, like you say, a landmark we have uh, and so many to enjoy when that fully opens in years to come. Um, But you've great memories of it as a young fella. Yeah, I used to head down there to lunchtime, so the grammar school, the odd time, and have a walk down it. The odd time, not fishing, but with people who were fishing and uh, some, you know... Congreels the size of Loch Ness monsters have been caught according <laughs> to some people on it but, but great memories and uh, looking forward to, to more that's uh, going to be opened as you say in, in times but that's it you can hear the interviews in full if you go to Manx Radio's website and you can download the podcast for free and uh, hear all the interviews in there and past programmes as well but for this week we'll leave it there and we'll see you at the same time next week so from me Simon Clark and me Kiri Kermud we'll see you next week bye 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 Oh,